fans, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at CompetitivePod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast, the chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, a JV coach, a college coach, a high school coach, or even an official. What? Is that? Wait. Did you read that right? Yeah, you did. You did did read that right. Coaches, I tell you what, this is the episode. If you haven't listened to the previous 80-something episodes, this is the episode to listen to right now. All of your queries will be answered today by our guest. He is a high school basketball official. He's also a high school lacrosse official, a Division I football official, and he's the Big North Conference basketball assigner in New Jersey, Mark Batar. He's a referee. Mark Batar, welcome to the Greatest Games podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to, uh, to talking to you guys tonight. So we, we have gotten the enemy on the show, Brian. <laughs> Wait, what? Why is he an enemy? Because I'm a coach. That's why. Okay, I got you. I got you. That's what we got. Coach AD official here. This is like a, this is more of a seminar than a podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, with the uh, officials, we're also known as the necessary evil. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I well, would imagine that your job is somewhat like an AD job. You. you the only time that you're noticed is when you've really done something wrong. Like we were talking about off the air, uh, when an AD drops the ball, when a bus doesn't show up, that's, that's when I've noticed coach Rosefield, where's our bus, you know? So same, same type deal. So I think we have that in common, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, with the officiating side, um, coaches really don't really compliment you too often about all of the calls that you make. So if you make a hundred calls and you have, you know, 99 of them are all right. They don't really say much to you, but the one maybe you made a mistake on, or they thought you made a mistake on, that's the one that uh, you get yelled at pretty quickly. They'll contact you quick. <laughs> and that's the key, right? The one that they thought you made a mistake on, right? Because they've never made a mistake, right? Wait, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> well, Coach, why don't, uh, coach, I call them Coach. I'm so used to it. Mark, uh, why don't you take us through your resume and, and how you got into officiating and all the different sports and different levels and different jobs that you have? Hey, yeah, so, um, so one of the things that uh, I did was I – the first sport that I ever officiated uh, was high school football, um, you know, and kind of how I got into uh, officiating was I was actually a senior in high school. And, uh, you know, it was right around December time or so. And the teacher was playing something on the TV and something happened with a commercial, some type of commercial. And there was like a referee promoting some type of product. And uh, you know, I just said, you know, you know, it would be cool. 
to kind of officiate football. That'd be a cool little thing to do. So the teacher at the time heard me and he said, oh, well, the president of the high school football officials association is a teacher here. So I really wasn't going to do much about it. I was 17. I was just hanging out, you know, doing what normal seniors in high school do. And my best friend till, you know, went to me and he said, uh, Mark, uh, you're not going to do anything about it. You're not going to talk to that guy. And he was right. And I wasn't going to do anything about it. So then he kept on saying it. And so to despite my best friend, um, I went to go talk to, uh, to the teacher about going into the officiating school. I talked to him, you know, he asked me where I was going to college. Um, you know, at that point I was deciding between Pittsburgh, St. John's and Seton Hall. And I, he said, well, if you pick Seton Hall, you can go into the officiating school. So one thing led to another. I went to Seton Hall, proved my best friend wrong. I went to the officiating school. I started high school football, um, progressed right into high school officiating lacrosse, and then got into basketball. Um, so I've been officiating now for a little over, going into 16 years now. Um, I uh, officiated uh, high school football. I then went into doing the junior college, Division two and Division three football. And then eventually I moved into the, the Division one level with the NEC. And now I'm working in the Colonial, the Ivy and the Patriot League in football. Um, and then now I've moved over to actually with high school basketball. I started officiating doing third grade basketball, CYO. I then progressed on through and then I started doing freshman JVs. Then I did varsity. Uh, about six years ago, I became the assigner for the Big North Conference, which encompasses about 40 schools in Bergen and Passaic County, where I actually assigned the officials to the freshman JV and varsity level. And then I went into high school lacrosse, where I officiate high school lacrosse. For about five years, I took a break where I was also a high school varsity assistant for lacrosse, where I coached at the school I was teaching at the time. And, um, you know, all now I'm doing that. So it's been, uh, it's been a little bit of a ride. So done a lot with uh, a lot of the high school sports. So we were talking before we hit record about how this show is going to go. Cause normally like we're talking about, we typically have coaches on what kind of questions are asked you. I have a laundry list of questions to ask you. So <laughs> I'm going to start, I don't know what the, the logical progression is, but my first question for you, Batar is what keeps you in it because you know like we we're joking a minute ago you know you're you're always wrong coaches are always right i'm sure parents are always right you're always wrong in parents so what keeps you even moving up into leadership now as an assigner so what keeps you in this this game as an official i think a lot of it is um the relationships that you build um i've built some i think lifelong friends with this whether it's from the coaching side the AD side that you meet, um, also from the official side. I have some people that I talk to um, every day that I've met through officiating. Um, and it's, I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine not meeting those people and talking to those people every day. And it's also, I'm doing something that's a hobby that I also get paid to do it, but it's also a really awesome hobby that I have that I love to do. And I have really do have a true passion for it. Um, I know a lot of you know, coaches will come on and say that they spend a lot of time and they'll miss birthdays, they'll miss family events. And it's the same thing on the officiating side, um, you know, where you do actually miss a lot of family events because you are doing a game, you're doing this, you're going to a clinic, you're going to 
different camps and stuff to try to hone your craft to try to be the best at that. So I guess there's a little bit of a thrill with it when you're doing it and you just kind of enjoy that moment, just like, you know, coaches enjoy that time, you know, when they're coaching and the players enjoy it. It's the same thing on the officiating side. And it's something that I'm, I'm very thankful that I found because, you know, some people say, oh, well, you're working, you're doing this. And I tell people, this is not work. This is something that I really, truly love and enjoy. What do you envision is your role in the, in the process of the, of the sporting event? Obvious, uh, you know, or how do you see your role? Or how do you approach your role in the, in the event? Uh, for me, I actually did a game once, um, refereed a high school basketball game, saw the coach, never saw him before, refereed the game, and two and a half weeks later, I saw that same coach. He did not recognize me at all. Didn't even knew I had him. And to me, that was the biggest compliment. And that's one of my goals is to not be noticed. You know, I want to referee a game. Nobody notices I'm there. Nobody notices anything. And to me, when if you can go through a game as a referee unnoticed, that means you did a really good job. Batar, I'm going to try not to ask this in a leading way. Let me see if I can uh, if I can do that. I've been known <laughs> to ask a leading question or two, but I'll ask it anyway. My last year of coaching JV basketball was my ninth year of coaching. Uh, not that I had it figured out, uh, but it was my the most fun I had of any year, and I made a decision before the season started to not say anything to referees ever just to coach my kids and the referee at JV basketball in South Carolina, if they miss the call, so what next play as coach Odom used to say it's next play. Uh, and it was just created so much freedom for me. So that was my experience. But my question to you again, try not to ask in a leading way. What is, what is something or what are some things that you wish coaches would just understand about officials or just understand about the game um, in general? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that I would want coaches to know is that referees do not care who wins or loses the game. That's number one. <laughs> uh, no? Yeah, so that's, that's like first and foremost. And number two, a lot of officials and most officials and, and the people that, you know, that I'm with and that we're using – they do have a sense of pride with this and they do try to do their best. And, you know, sometimes you have certain calls that are tough. And sometimes I actually have watched film and I look at the film six times or seven times and you'll have a group of 15 officials in the room and they'll be split 50, 50 on a call. And an official is asked to make that call in a split second. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. And sometimes after the fact, two weeks later, you're still not sure if they're right or wrong. And, and that's something that I, I kind of wish coaches would always kind of remember that we are human and that sometimes you just got to go with that call, you know, especially those block charge calls when they're like, oh, well, that's a block, that's a charge. You know, sometimes it's a split 50-50 and sometimes we always have to remember that piece. Uh, but I also understand, and this is one of the, the perspectives that I remember and that I think made me a much better official and a signer was coaching high school lacrosse for a number of years, that really helped me because I was able to get the perspective from coaching where you are going to those summer camps that 
we've all gone to, whether you're fishing, you know, you're coaching them, you're bringing your kids, you're doing this, you're doing practices in a gym that's a hundred degrees and, and you're doing all of those things to try to prepare for that season. And high school coaches now, they're working 12 months a year and they're trying to prepare themselves for that big opening night. Um, so I think when a coach does express some of their feelings towards a call, I try to remember that and try to understand how much they prepared for. So sometimes when they feel like a call went the wrong way for them, um, you know, I, I try to let them express their feelings. Try not to have that happen too often in a game, but you try to make sure uh, you kind of understand where they're coming from. I'm coming from the perspective that the official's always wrong. Okay. <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> no, uh, I actually, and I'm not doing it to curry favor, uh, but like Brian said about his last year coaching, I, Mark, you can ask any kid that's played for me. One of the first things I tell them at the beginning of the year is that, that as the players, you don't say anything to the officials and I'm not going to say anything to the officials. And the example I always give is the ref doesn't get to come by me late in the third quarter and go, boy, coach, that was a crappy substitution. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've heard some coaching clinics um, and one of the things uh, that they'll say in a basketball game is if you complain to the officials and are constantly complaining about calls and this, that, and the other, you could actually possibly leave six to eight points on the court by not focusing on coaching your kids. And that to me, um, I think is, is really true because if you really are focusing so much on the officials and just complaining consistently, and I'm not saying one or two calls, everybody, I get that. But if you're com consistently complaining, sometimes there are certain coaches that stop coaching. And that's something that I heard in this coaching clinic, which I thought was really like, you know, earth shattering to me because I, you really did realize you do got to keep coaching. And sometimes you got to say your piece and then be done with it and go on to the next mm -hmm. play. I can't afford to lose six to eight points. <laughs> I, I cannot afford that. That's for sure. Just it. I've got, I've got to tell the story. I think Blas, I've probably told you the story, but um, one of our, our mutual friends that we worked with in South Carolina, Kenny Kosnack, uh was an assistant at the time. He moved on to East Carolina. I was talking to him, uh, I guess it was six or seven years ago. And he told me about, uh, to me is the greatest, uh, not a drill, but um, uh, just thing that they did in practice with their guys. Every, every day, every couple of days when they would scrimmage back when, well, outside of a pandemic, of course, didn't worry about contact tracing, but whatever. Um, five bad calls was the, was the portion of practice. And the coaches would officiate the scrimmage. And if a kid clearly caught it in bounds, uh, caught a rebound in bounds, or for example, uh, Kenny would blow the whistle and say, whoop, 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 you're out of bounds, ball going this way here. And the kid's like, what, 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 I'm in bounds. Nope, nope, ball's going this way here. And then the next play down, you know, kid goes in in the lane. He just gets hammered. No call, you know. Again, so just try, just training kids. Just that five bad calls, five bad calls. And so the one time during that year of, of my last year coaching JV, as I mentioned earlier, there was one time a referee clearly missed the call right in front of my bench, and I started just to rise up, and I was and I was getting ready to say something, and I had been doing that five bad calls with my guys, and I'll never forget it. Trey High. One of my players at the time comes over, running over. He said, coach, 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 just easy, easy, easy. It's just five bad calls. And he just ran back down the floor and we started playing defense. I was like, 
oh my God. Like, but what a, what a gift it is to just train kids that like some calls are not going to go your way. Like it's, it's just not like, and so why are you going to waste your time? Like you said, leave six or eight points on the floor by trying to argue with this official that's not going to change his call anyway. And it just starts to permeate your guys. I don't know. I just, that's one of my favorite stories from, from my days of coaching ever. I just, I just love that so much. I think it's a great drill. I think a lot of coaches might pick up on that. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. I tried to do that drill. It was a hundred bad calls. <laughs> um, so coach, we, we like to call this the greatest games podcast. We have coaches uh, tell us about uh, some of their greatest games they were a part of. And it's sort of a two part question. Maybe tell us about a game and it could be in any one of the sports you officiated, but even the sort of the pre question of that would be, do you know when you're officiating a game and it's just a really good game you know, well-played, two good teams. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're if you're refereeing a championship game or something like that or, or a county final, but even just you can get in a regular season game sometimes it's just a good quality game. Do you feel that as an official or a group of officials? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll do a game and you're not, you know, you'll walk into the gym, you're not realize everything, and then sometimes as the game is progressing, you'll just feel that energy in the game. And then you'll start to realize what you're being a part of. Um, you know, I, uh, when I was doing, you know, kind of going into your question before, was, you know, when you're looking at the different sports I officiated in high school, you know, it was kind of when I was kind of more up and coming and with high school basketball, I was actually doing a, you know, at the time, a rivalry game. It was actually Pascac Valley versus Pascac Hills. And the only reason why I was on the game was because somebody got sick. So I was the last second replacement and I worked the game and it was a packed house. Um, and you had and Al Coleman yelling at you. Yeah. <laughs> and this was about, I think about, oh my God, about 10 or 11 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I'm doing the game and it was just, it was packed. It was, the environment was unbelievable. And that was one of the moments where I realized, hey, wow, I can really get pretty good at this. This is something that I really want to do. And I want to try to get better at this. And that's when you started to realize, you know, let me try to go to these camps. Let me try to talk to some of these older officials, try to keep on honing those skills because I want to be ready for this moment. And, um, you know, that was one of the most exciting um, games or one of the games that I really felt that is still I remember till this day. Um, you know, when you talked about football, you know, one of the games, there's probably two games that I really love that I did. I worked the game actually at Navy um, and it was just an awesome environment. It was really cool. And you also, I mean, when you're doing a game there, it really is a production, you know, you're, you're seeing the TVs, you're seeing, it's a show that they're putting on, you know, in between, which was really cool because I remember I was on the goal line getting ready for a kickoff and there were like 25 cadets doing pushups. Somebody went and said, three, two, one. Boom, all the cadets stopped and they were ready to kick off, the, you know, the kickoff. It was it was a really cool environment. Um, and that's something that uh, was one of the one of the games that I'll still remember. And then there was another game that I did at Yankee Stadium. It was actually Dartmouth versus Princeton and uh, in the Ivy League. And that was a really cool environment. I was able to have family and friends there. Um, so that really meant a lot to me because, you know, you're doing a lot of traveling with some of these college sports. Like, you know, when you bring those college coaches on, when they're saying they're traveling, well, same thing with the fishy, with officials. 
we get there, we get there super early. You know, we, we're doing the game. Sometimes the games are Saturday night at eight o'clock. You know, you're getting there super early in the morning and, you know, then you're, you're not coming home till Sunday morning. So sometimes you miss a lot of events. But when I was able to share that with a lot of family and friends, that was pretty cool. Mark, you know, one of the questions I had for you, um, and I think it's a great time to ask it uh, around these great games, but uh, it's, a, it's a two-parter. Have you ever really kind of caught yourself sometimes in the moment just watching the game? Like, oh, goodness, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm officiating this game. Uh, and then kind of dovetailing with that question, who are some of the great players that you've just seen just do just unbelievable things on a field, on a court, uh, during your time officiating games? Um, so when I first started, um, unfortunately, I would watch the games because you'd be so enthralled in it. Um, and then obviously as you get a little – um, I get a little more experience, you start to anticipate and you're starting to be prepared for what's going to happen. And I think when I first started, I think I was watching the games a little bit and uh, you're kind of focusing on, you're, you're looking at the ball instead of the action. And that's one of the things as officials, you know, when I, when I try to talk to new people, new officials that are getting into this, you try to talk to them about focusing where your eyes should be. And so hopefully I'm not too guilty of that anymore, but I try to focus my eyes where they need to be. Um, there's been a couple of kids that I've seen that have just been some really good players. I know that there was, uh, you know, forgive me for not knowing their names, there was a, there was a couple of players that came from Tetafly. Um, uh, there was one player, I think he scored, definitely scored over 1,000 points at Tetafly. Chris Orozco? Yeah, he was one of the better high school players that I've seen. And then there was also another player um, that scored over 1,000 at Duma a few years ago. Um, maybe seven, eight years ago, he was one, a very good player that I saw as well. So there's been, so I, I kind of look at those schools at times when I try to look at some of those players, um, you know, sometimes when you do the Bergens and the Boscos of the world, you're going to see just those really, those D1 talents. And, you know, sometimes that's kind of cool when you see some of those kids at those local public schools. Um, that to me is pretty cool too, when you see those kids. Yeah, screw the Catholic schools. Anyone can <laughs> no, they're, they're good, too. They're good, too. But sometimes you watch some of those kids from the smaller schools. It's it's kind of cool when you're able to see that. Matt Flood at Creskill. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we, we can't have an official on and not get – again, I know we're not going to mention names, but you got to give me a good story of a, of a back and forth you had or – when you when you really bang someone with a T, you know his name his name might rhyme with Baskin. Uh. <laughs> uh, you know it's it, it's it's funny um, when with basketball, uh, especially with basketball coaches, a lot of the times it depends just who the officials are on who they're going to ride that night. You know, um, if you have you know say for example it's a two or three person. Um, officiating game, they're going to look at the three in advance of that game. They're going to look at them in the pregame, you know, when they're walking into the gym, they're going to see who the three officials are. They're going to talk to their AD the morning of, find out who the officials are. Before that ball is even tossed, I think a lot of the coaches already know who they're going to be riding that night um, because they'll kind of see their experience. They'll know who they are. And a lot of the times, I think with basketball especially, um, a lot of it is acceptance. So if they've seen you work um, and they've seen your past, they'll know, okay, I can trust him. You know, Batar's on my game tonight. I don't have to worry about Batar, but I do have to worry about 
official X who I've never seen before. And so they're going to kind of ride you and do those kind of things. Um, I've had a couple of coaches that'll, um, that actually was riding me about a call. It was a block charge call first quarter of the game, four minutes into the game. And it really wasn't that major of a, of a swing or anything like that at the time. I think it was like eight, six or so. I go, I ruled a charge. He thought it was a block. Okay. Well, you know, until this day, I never even saw the film. I'm not even sure. So second quarter, two minutes to go. He still brings up that charge call from the first quarter, four minutes to go. And I said to myself, holy Christmas. I was like, all right, maybe he'll forget about it at halftime. Okay, great. So then the third quarter, that coach brings it up again. And then at that point, I said, you know what? I just teed them. And I'm not a really big, a big technical foul guy where I give them out a lot. I gave him a technical foul. I said, coach, this is, I'm doing this to help you. I said, you need to get off that, stay seated and just coach your team. And I'm doing this to help you now because I can't, you can't focus on that anymore. You know, the guy went, sat down on his bench, coached the rest of the game. And I think he won by four points. And uh, I, I went, that was kind of the experience where I said, you know what, this technical foul is not the worst thing in the world. It was pretty, <laughs> I think it actually helped the coach at that point because sometimes they just need to get off of it. And if they don't, that's when you kind of have to just, uh, kind of just give them the tee and then uh, hopefully that situation goes away. And uh, Brian, some listeners and yourself will probably wonder what uh, Mark was talking about there. We do have the seatbelt rule here in New Jersey. <laughs> Which once you get a technical foul, you have to sit on the bench as the coach, and you cannot get up. Okay. Okay. So it's a. It's. A, I've only experienced it once when I called the ref a bleeping joke. <laughs> I said the call was a bleeping joke. Sorry, that was my only technical. <laughs> I'm really surprised at that. That didn't go well. So, so sometimes, uh, sometimes that that technical it puts things in perspective and lets them realize. Okay, that's it. We've had enough and get, go get back to coaching. Once they get back to coaching, everything is fine. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. But when they keep on going and lingering on a call, especially from something two quarters ago, uh, that, that's when you got to just say enough is enough. We got to focus here on the game. Yeah. I and mean, to me, that goes back to that point. I've been around the five bad calls again. Like you say, just sometimes you just, you just got to let it go. And I remember my first technical, like, like it was yesterday, but what was Bud's last name? But I remember just right behind his ear at, at a high school girls game. I was coaching my first girls coaching job out of college. And, and I just, I pushed it too far and he turned around and that was enough. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess that's, that's the limit then. Okay. And it, it was a, it was a learning experience for me, even as embarrassing as it was for me, but it was a, it was a great learning experience, you know, and you just, you like, you like, I can hear in your voice, like you just call it and all right, you call it, shoot the free throws. And now we're moving on. It's not, you're not holding a grudge. It's anything like that. It's just, right, yep. You, you overstepped your bounds and blown the whistle and we're moving on. I think, I think that's great. Yeah. It's nothing personal. You know, if you, if you call a technical foul, it really isn't personal. It's just, I got to give this to you, you know, and it's nothing that, you know, couple of weeks later, you know, if I could see you down the road, we can grab a beer one time. That's fine. But it's nothing personal, but sometimes with the technophiles. And when they're yelling at me during a game, I also realize it's nothing personal either. Um, so that's where I think, you know, you got to kind of draw that line. One more question, sort of along the line of coaches. I wanted to get this in a little earlier. How do you deal with, I, I don't even want to get into belligerent parents and fans. I'm uh, the, the 
pandemic's the greatest thing ever. I'm going to get the coach of season with no fans, uh, <laughs> no parents in the stands. Um, but when you're dealing with players, um, and I'm not talking someone who gets real belligerent and calls your name, but you know, sometimes a kid may be a little mouthy or maybe mouthy with the two kids, maybe mouthing at each other. Um, I always think good officials are ones that kind of, you know, maybe take the two kids aside early on in the game. And what do you say to kids like that? Or how do you deal with that early on in the game, especially? I think the first thing you got to do as an official is identify what's going on there. So if you see two kids or you're seeing something or you're seeing a matchup on the low block where you're seeing a lot of physicality there, let's talk to those kids. And that's one of the things that as officials, we have fouls and then, but before certain things become fouls, we have what we call talk tos. So we want to talk to those kids a little bit. We want to talk to them. Hey, look, this is what we're expecting here. You know, and then if some kids get a little excited or anything like that, we're going to communicate between the two of them. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in my time is if you're going to talk to a player, try to talk to both of them at the same time. So they don't feel like they're being picked on. Um, I've noticed that, um, you know, it took time to obviously realize things like this, but if you're seeing two players, talk to two players from each from the opposing teams, bring them together, say, hey, look, we're, you know, we're not having any of this nonsense or anything like that. Sometimes I've talked to teams where I'll bring two or three players from the same team and talk to them about certain things just to say, hey, look, I'm here. Let's try to avoid doing this. And when you have that communication with them, I always try to tell the coach later on or anything. I say, hey, coach, I talked to player X. Let him know this, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of the coaches are very much appreciative when you're able to talk to their kids uh, and kind of help them along on trying to do that. Because one of the things I think coaches get a little upset at is, you know, you have a technical foul, you have this, you have that. And they, you didn't even give them a heads up on certain things when things are leading up to that technical. So I try to give them a heads up and um, they're pretty good about that. Um, at least a lot of the schools um, in this area, the coaches are really good about doing when you communicate with them, they're really good about understanding why you're doing certain things. All right, coach, we're going to, tr- we're going to try this here. Usually we ask the coaches a final question. That is what is something they say over and over again in practice or to their team as an official, you may have a point of emphasis or something that you say, what is something you find yourself saying maybe in, in the heat of a game, like keep your hands off, no hand checks, no hand checks. What is that one thing you think you say all the time? Uh, that's a good question. Um, coach, I'll get a better look. No, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> no, but uh, probably I think one of the things I'll say to them, especially in the beginning of the game um, is no two hands, no two hands. You know, you try to establish that. Um, as soon as you can, because one of the things that you'll notice in the first quarter of a game, the ball is tipped, guard gets the ball, he's outside the arc, and he's going to look to try to drive to the basket, whether he's going to look to drive to the basket to go for a layup, whether he's going to look to drive and then dish out the ball. One of the things that I try to do is, you know, I always look at the points of emphasis of every year that we always have as officials. And one of the things that's been the kind of the case the last two years is, don't put two hands on the, uh, don't put two hands on that player. So I'll try to say, you know, just drop that hand, drop that hand, not two hands. Try to talk to the kids, especially in the beginning of the game, because 
if you just start calling the fouls right away without telling them a little bit what you're looking for, um, <laughs> you, you'll have 40 fouls in the game. So you try to communicate that, let them know. So I think that's something I might be saying uh, to a lot of the kids. But it changes year to year. You got to change it up every so often. You can't do the same lines all the time because it gets old. <laughs> well, Mark, it, this has been uh, really, really fun. <laughs> I, I, uh, like I said, I was was chomping at the bit to ask you some of those questions, and uh, I think that uh, what you've shared with us to, during this episode is going to help a lot of coaches, and it helps remind me of. of again the reason that we're doing things like we want to compete we want to uh we want to win all that but at the same time we, we've all got our different roles to play here let the officials officiate let the players play let the coaches coach and let the parents do whatever parents do but no i just uh, it just uh it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun we really appreciate you joining us on the show today pleasure was mine <laughs> well let's go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host chris de blasio i am brian rosefield and thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest games